Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath to you. I hope you're blessed and uh, relaxed and happy in the Lord. It's a great privilege to be at this nice pulpit. See, I like my papers to be spread out so that I can see. And, uh, you know, did anybody ever tell you that I, I get nervous? Well, I want you to pray for me. I don't know what it is, but uh, you, you probably think I'm good at this, but it's hard every time. So I need God's blessing and God's grace. But what I do love to do is to share the wonderful things that God teaches me. And lately, He's been teaching me about forgiveness and the healing power of forgiveness. And so for past two um, sermons, I've been kind of springboarding off of this book, but off of this very, very biblical principle of forgiveness. And so I entitled the series, the, the Power of God's Forgiveness. And really, it's only God who knows how to forgive. And so we need to learn from Him. Um, but we looked at this book because it's, Dr. Dick Tibbetts has written it and entitled it, Forgive to Live. How forgiveness can save your life. And how forgiveness can be healing. And there are various types of forgiveness that we looked into. There's um, relational forgiveness where two, two individuals look for reconciliation. And then there's spiritual forgiveness where an individual looks for forgiveness to God for their sins. And then there's this personal forgiveness, which is the individual um, often... Um, by themselves, will make a choice, a decision to forgive and to look at the situation um, that caused them anger or bitterness in a different light, in a powerful light, where the individual, the, pers the person, becomes a victor and not the victim, where an individual becomes better and not bitter. And we looked last week at the power of freedom in forgiveness. And uh, I, I don't want to spend the time to summarize the sermon. I, I suggest that you get the, the DVD. And, you know, some powerful, powerful biblical truths. And it's strange because the more I'm looking at this aspect of forgiveness, uh, you know, as a topic, really, that's Christianity. That, that's salvation. is God's forgiveness to us and us being so grateful to the Lord and us as servants, we forgive those who trespass against us because we have, had a, we have had a debt that we could never pay back forgiven by God, but at great cost. So I'd like to invite you to bow with me as we pray for this third. It will be the, the last in this series on, on the power of God's forgiveness, but it's entitled Joy in Forgiveness. Our joy. So first we looked at our need to forgive. It's not really an option. Because we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses to God as, as we forgive those that trespass against us. So we must be a forgiving, have a forgiving nature. And, and that needs to come from God. And then our freedom in forgiveness. So that we're not locked for years. People with resentments and, and bitterness against uh, others. And now the joy. So let us bow our heads as, as we look at this very, very powerful uh, truth. Father in heaven, 
we come to you weak, sinful, with hardened hearts, seeking, Lord, for you to break away the hardness of our heart and to give us a heart of flesh, that, Lord, you may be able to use this sinner who I am to speak words of encouragement, words of faith, and words of power, and words of forgiveness. Please um, touch my mind. Give me the thoughts. Let your people be fed. And Lord, may we be inspired by your gr great attribute of forgiveness, when it's not fair even. But we thank you for it. And we pray that we may uh, understand and experience more of the joy and the fullness of life that you want us to have in Jesus' name. Amen. So our joy in forgiveness. We looked at a number of, of definitions of, of forgiveness, and one of them was that um, to forgive means that we, we look at the past in a new light so that we can... Um, be energized in our present experience to be able to achieve the goals that we have in our life. In other words, uh, forgiveness, when, when we engage in this gift, this divine gift, it is healing for us and uh, it, it is peace and power from God. And so we looked at it almost as a strategy uh, to keep us healthy. Because we looked at how high blood pressure and other illnesses um, are provoked by an unforgiving spirit. And it's amazing, that title, Forgive to Live. And, and he did research and he um, did um, case studies. And there was no other factor that could be allowed to um, come into to this um, study. If anybody did any exercise or, or anything un unusual, they were discounted from the study. It was only those that engaged in the attitude of forgiveness that were counted, and so their blood pressure was, was measured before they went through um, the, the teaching and the principles of forgiveness, and then it was measured afterwards, and it was seen to have been radically lowered. And so, um, forgiveness to live is, is a powerful concept, but it is so basic to our Christian living. And when you think about it, you know, we, we hold on to the pain of the hurt of what somebody has done or somebody has said, but that actually kills. It actually inhibits our present ability, affects and weakens our spirituality. But today I want to focus on the joy of, of forgiveness. That we can stop destroying our own life. The devil wants us to do that. You know where it says in the Lord's Prayer, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. So we should be forgiving, right? But what comes next after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6? How does it go? And lead us not into temptation. Now we think, you know, in our fast reading of the scripture, we think, okay, Jesus is, is talking about something different. It's a new idea. It is absolutely linked to that first phrase that if we are forgiving, then we will receive God's forgiveness, His power. Then what happens is we will not be led by bitterness, by resentment, and by anger into temptation. Because do those attributes lead us to sin? Yes or no? They absolutely do. 
So forgiveness is a, and exercising that gift from God is a vital part of us not entering into temptation and falling into sin. How many horrible, angry words, how much pain is caused to a spouse or to a child because we keep a record of the wrongs that are done and we lash out in, in anger. Friends, God is teaching us that we must be like Him. Amen? If we're just nice to the people that are nice to us, that's just what the heathens do. What good is it? What do you do better, Jesus says. And I love the Sermon on the Mount. And friends, I challenge you, read it through over and over and over. You will come to new understanding and a greater depth of what it means to be a true Christian in those first three chapters, five, six, and seven of the Sermon on the Mount than practically any other place. If we can live the Sermon on the Mount, we will be righteous by faith. It's amazing. And forgiveness is a part of it. It's a part of that, that salvation. So how do we change from using forgiveness as a strategy, as a self-defense mechanism to keep us healthy? Uh, how do we switch from, from or, or progress from that point to it actually being a way of life that we can actually live like Jesus? You know, you never see Jesus lashing out in anger, in, in temper, or frustration, or resentment, or bitterness. Never. Never, never, never. So, as we learn this amazing truth, wow, if I want God to forgive me, I must be forgiving. And you know, sometimes that will hit you right through the, through the eye. Because it's it, between the eyes. It's justified, isn't it? Because somebody's done you wrong. It's not fair. They should, they should suffer for it. They, they, we should get our own back on them. We should tell them what we think. But how do we transition from bitterness to joy, to from failure to success, from imprisonment to freedom. You know, so often people are prisoners of their own mind and of their own thoughts. Our own thoughts can reduce our options and make us feel trapped. People stop coming. People stop talking. People stop believing because of these emotions that an unforgiving spirit lead to. Friends, just share a couple of quotes here. Some people have actually reached this point where they come to a crossroads in their life and they, they experience the necessity to forgive, the freedom of forgiveness, and they then come to the joy of forgiveness. It's not a duty, but it's a response and a way of life. Countless people have reached this crossroads and found forgiveness to be the only viable solution. Dr. Martin Luther King, you know him? He chose the pathway of forgiveness at a critical time in his life when he could have easily felt trapped by circumstances in the face of deep-seated prejudice. 
And as the frequent target of violent attacks, Dr. King taught, and more importantly, lived forgiveness. He never excused the actions of the offenders, but rather revealed their weakness and true character. Forgiveness, he says, or he said, is not an occasional act. He insisted, it is a permanent attitude. Like God, forgiveness is a permanent attitude. How often or when do you think you would come to the point where you'd come to God and say, God, forgive me, and he would say, no, sorry, this was the last straw. It's not going to happen. He will always forgive us, but don't miss the fact that forgiveness is power and freedom. In fact, we saw with the, the, the woman caught in adultery that forgiveness is power to go and sin no more. That is salvation. And it stems from God's great act in forgiving us. When we know that we are guilty, when we know that we deserve death, when we're expecting it at any point, but we cry out to God and He forgives us, He renews our heart, gives us new energies, and through the power and indwelling of His Holy Spirit, we go and sin no more. Because when Jesus says it, and when He tells us it, it's because it is true and it is possible. Can you say amen? So He, goes to the, he said to the woman, go and sin no more. And so it is a powerful thing. And then for us to live it as a lifestyle. Do you know what? It's not, that's not even a principle. That's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus living in us. That we would continually have the power to forgive against all odds and against all reason, humanly speaking. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive, he would continue. He who is devoid of of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to live and indeed of the power to love. Dr. King read much of the work of another great world leader who taught and lived forgiveness. Guess who he, who he is? Yes, sir. You said it. Mahatma Gandhi. And when confronted by superior British forces that sought to suppress the people of India, Mahatma Gandhi said, the weak can never forgive. The what? The weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. It's weak not to forgive. It is strong. It is powerful. It is divine. It is liberating. It is joyful to forgive. And that's what we are to be, ministers of this power to reconcile sinful human beings with a holy God. We are to be the ministers. And that's why we're told, forgive others so that you could be an instrument in my hands, says God. And show and share the power of forgiveness when you forgive others. Even, and I would say especially, when they don't even ask for it or act like they would like to have it. Later, he went on to say, Mahatma Gandhi went on to say, if we practice this thing of vengeance, you know, and take it to its log logical conclusion, where will we be? If we practice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, soon the whole world would, would be blind and toothless, if not dead. 
We laugh. But when was the last time God gave us the grace and saw our desire and helped us to forgive and experience the freedom and the joy and the power and the ability to get on with life, to be together, to realize life is not guaranteed to be fair. Who said it has to be fair? So get a life and realize that other people are going through struggles too. Let us not let these things keep us apart. And from church, we are preparing our hearts and our minds and our bodies to do one of the greatest works given to mankind. And that is to share the love and the power of the forgiveness of Almighty God. There's no option. If we call ourselves children of the Heavenly Father, then one of our greatest assets is forgiveness. Not as a strategy, but as a lifestyle. You know, the more important forgiveness is to you, the more likely you are to forgive. The more often you practice forgiveness, the more forgiving you become. The goal of living the forgiving life is for forgiveness to become so much a part of who you are that when things go wrong, which they will, and we're told that the earth is going to have to face, and Christians, Bible-believing, Seventh-day Adventist, um, commandment-keeping Christians are going to face a, tri- a time of trouble such as never was. So when things go wrong, we will already be in a forgiving mode. Guess what? So the problem doesn't have a chance of growing into a story of resentment. In other words, we're talking about prevention rather than cure. You see? So that, you know, I love that text. Perfect peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Do you realize that you can only be offended and angry and upset when you decide that that's what you want to do? If you decide you do not want to be offended, angry, and upset, you will not, by the power of God, because of His great love and forgiveness for you, you will extend that forgiveness to others. Do you remember the words of Jesus? Father, when He hung with outstretched hands, He said those words, Father, to the Roman soldiers, he said, Father, he prayed for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You mean they didn't know what they were doing? You mean that they didn't know how to put those nails in the right place where they would not slip out? You mean to say that they didn't know how to to crucify? They were experts at it. But what Jesus was referring to was that they were blind blinded by sin, and therefore they didn't realize that they were crucifying the Lord of mercy. But he said those amazing words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And very often that is the case with many individuals around us. When we have such an attitude, it comes from an an awareness that other people struggle just as much as you and I. 
Other people are under the attack of the enemy just as much as you and I. So why don't we get a life and say, hey, we're all in the same boat. And do what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 3, that we should be kind and tender-hearted, loving and forgiving, and not to grieve the Holy Spirit by harboring an unforgiving spirit. Did you know that we are still on this earth because the church of God, the Seventh-day Adventist church of God, in critical points of its history, allowed um, bitterness and controversy and conflict between members to grieve the Holy Spirit so that Jesus has not come yet. Friends, there is great joy in forgiveness. You know, a recent Gallup poll says that people who are willing and able to forgive tend to be more satisfied with life. Have you seen those um, positive people always smiling? I mean, they could be old and, you know, riddled with arthritis, but they have a positive attitude and um, are so full of positiveness and happiness, and it's just a joy to be around them. Somebody who's complaining and, and saying, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? This is like that, and that is like this. Their health isn't doing very good, and not, neither is the health of those that are around them doing very good. But you see, the devil seems to catch a hook here. He, he catch a hook on our tongue almost. And this, this spirit of, of criticism and complaining is so, so destructive and so, so dangerous. And the devil can take us to the point of our complaining, to the point of us leaving the church of God. D.M. Canwright is an example. So how is it that we can come to that point of letting go of the hurts and the pain and realizing that, hey, you know what? God's got everything in his hands anyway. The, the end of the story, what, has, a, has what kind of ending? The end of our walk, our Christian life, has a happy ending, doesn't it? What is it? Eternal life. What a joy that will be. Friends, we need to shift our worldview from a worldly worldview. You know, America is excellent at suing. I have never seen a nation uh, capable to sue another individual for something that you would never believe. But we want to be different. Amen? In fact, there's no option. We are called to be different. We are commanded to be different. To live a forgiving life. Not as a strategy, but as a life. It's the life of Christ in us. You know, I came across, um, because there are some people that like stories, right? I like stories too. It's just they're so hard to find. You know, and, and I hate those stories that everybody else has heard. And you know the, you know the ending already because that kind of kills it, doesn't it? So it's hard to find new stories, new illustrations. But I, I, I had a friend 
who um, said, Pastor, I've got this book, and I'd love for you to, to read it. And so they, um, they said, come by my house and, and pick it up. And so I took his name. I, I had met him at um, a place where I would often go. And he gave me his number, and I planned to go and, uh, and pick it up. But you know how it can be. You get busy, and you say, okay, I'm going to do it. That's a such, such a time. And they say, oh, hang on, I have to go and do this first. And then you forgot. And that's what happened to me. So it was a month later. And the next time that I saw him, he said, you didn't come around for the book. And I said, I know. I, I had it on my mind. I was going to do it. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't. And so he said, well, let me see. I might just have brought it with me in my car. So he went out to the back, and he got the, the book. And this is the book. It's called God's Samurai. I just opened it kind of randomly. And in the middle of the book, around page 202, came the chapter. Um, well, let me just first explain who this is. God's samurai, he, is, he was the, the lead pilot, the lead Air Force pilot of the Japanese Air Force that went into Pearl Harbor and bombed all of those American um, battleships, Navy destroyers and cruisers and so on. I can't remember. There's probably about 15 major, massive um, um, military, American military machines there. He was the lead pilot on the Japanese side. And so this is an amazing story. His name is Mitsu Fushida. And he was the career aviator who led the attack on Pearl Harbor and participated in most of the fiercest battles of the Pacific War. A valuable record of major events. His life story is also one of a man swept along by his times, etc., etc. And so I just read, um, I opened it up, and I came to chapter 25, and it was entitled, Where Does This Great Love Come From? Now I have to keep this... Um, short, but I want to keep it to the point. Fushida, um, after the war, he participated in some war crimes trials. And so the, the, the Japanese were being tried for their war crimes. He was a Japanese. Now, he decided that as he saw um, his comrades being tried for war crimes, you, you know, you, you have to, that, that he was going to to show that the Americans were just as bad, that they had been doing the same things as well. And you see, um, there is a, a psyche where it says that if your enemy does you wrong, you get him back. And this was the kind of thing that the Japanese lived by. He did not understand such concepts as courtesy, mercy toward a fallen foe. So in other words, if you got your enem the, the enemy in your camp as a prisoner of war, boy, you let them have it according to the Japanese. Now, that's not to say anything negative about the Japanese people. Don't get me wrong, I'm just recounting history. So, he decided because, um, and he assumed that the Japanese in the American um, prison camps had, been, had suffered atrocities like the Americans had in their camps. So he decided that he was going to get evidence to show and prove that Americans had been, uh, Americans had treated Japanese just as bad. So while Fushida brooded over this, in the spring of 1947, he read that 150 prisoners 
Japanese prisoners were soon to return from uh, the United States. And so he was looking at them, and he saw the, as they were disembarking, he saw some of them were sick, and so he didn't um, go and speak with them. But one individual was tall and dark and handsome. And he recognized this individual, and he recognized him as one of his own colleagues. And I forget the name, but you can read the chapter, chapter 25. So anyway, he starts asking his, his friend, how did you get treated? How, what was it like in the American prison of, of war camps? And so he said, well, I mean, you know, you're a prisoner, and um, it's not going to be a hotel, right? The, the thing about this, this story and this man that Fushida saw, they thought that he had died. And so actually in Tokyo, there was a tombstone with his name on it, and he told his friend. And he kind of laughed at that and thought, you know, at the prospect of being able to visit his own grave, and he was alive. Now, the, the reason why they thought he was dead was because um, the ship that he was on had considered the men under deck as a total loss, and he was one of two. But they managed to scramble out of that um, Japanese warship, and they realized that there was somebody there, and so radio, help was radioed by the Japanese to come and find him. But by that time, there was no sign of any ship. There was no sign of any survivors. They had actually escaped onto a lifeboat, and they had um, managed to be uh, captured, in fact, by the Americans. Now, you understand, for a Japanese to get captured by the Americans was the greatest and most pitiful, shameful thing that could happen. So many of the Japanese tried to end their life. They tried to commit suicide. And this tall, young, handsome man also tried to do the same. He tried to starve himself to death. But the Americans kept him alive with uh, um, feeding him um, uh, vitamins and, and food intravenously. And the Americans even arranged for a Japanese-speaking uh, chaplain to go and persuade him not to kill himself. And so this Japanese pastor was there with him for, for hours and speaking to him in Japanese. And he was just looking at him kind of sullen and, and starving. And, and the Japanese chaplain just left him thinking that he hadn't achieved anything. And then some, somehow some young Japanese um, ladies realized that, you know, theory and kind of talk wasn't going to get anywhere with this starving man. So what did they do? They brought him food. And they brought him food, and it was tuna fish kind of wrapped up in some nice yummy food and wrapped up in, in seaweed, which is a, a powerful and delicacy that happened to be the favorite of this man. So finally, with eating of that food, he thought he would just um, agree to that young lady's uh, persuasion in eating this food, and that would be it. But his whole life turned around. They said, go back to, to Japan. Start your life over again. You, you can do it. It's, it's not, it, you don't have to go back feeling shame, because that was the whole thing. And it was better to die by taking your own life than to go back uh, having been captured by the enemy. But the story goes on, and... There was one particular American young lady who was 
not able to speak Japanese, but she spoke English, and they started learning, the, the Japanese prisoners started learning English, and she would tell them, whatever you need, what, whatever I can do to help, I will do it. And so for weeks, these Japanese um, soldiers were being treated so well, so kind, so lovingly by this young American girl. To the point that one of them said, why do you treat us like this? Why do you treat us so nicely? And you know what the answer was? Because the Japanese killed my parents. What? They were, they were amazed, and this was the, the friend of Fushida was, was telling him all of this. This is what happened. An American girl had had her, her parents, who were missionary parents, they had been executed. And as they were praying, they must have prayed the prayer of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And at first, that young girl was filled with bitterness and anger. But then after reflection, she said, my parents, after working with the Japanese for so long, wouldn't want me to be like this. And so something happened in her heart and in her mind to the point that she was able to overcome the bitterness and the anger and was able to forgive and to show these Japanese love and kindness that struck Fushida to the heart. He was so amazed. He was dumbfounded, in fact. He was led to the point that this was something unexplainable. Not only did this, this story of this girl cure him of his spite, it also dovetailed perfectly with his thoughts about eternal peace. You see, every heart is yearning for peace, for harmony, for joy. Who or what could free mankind from the shackles of hatred and suspicion? A teenage American girl had given him the answer. Now he saw clearly bitterness blinds us, but now forgiveness could help him to see clearly that the roadblock of katachiuchi, which was the name, the translation of revenge, the Japanese word for revenge actually means, when translated literally, kill your enemy. That's what revenge is in Japanese. Kill your enemy. He said that the, he clearly saw that the roadblock was this revenge, or whatever it was called, in other languages. As surely as the sun would rise, revenge was wrong. And this young American girl was right. His heart and his mind were changed. She had stooped, I'm sorry, she had stopped one wheel of hatred. She had stopped one wheel of hatred. The prisoners who knew her would tell her story to their children and to their grandchildren. And thus the world would be a little brighter and cleaner and filled with joy and peace because of the actions and the forgiveness of that young American teenager. So also he learned that such towering goodness had no human, but it had, yes, a supernatural origin. 
Friends, do you want this kind of power in your life? Do you want the joy that comes, the peace that comes from that amazing, inexplicable power of forgiveness that Fushida, this man, he, he was the lead pilot. He became a pastor. He became a preacher. And it all began with the story of that young girl who was able to forgive the Japanese for executing her missionary parents. Friends, this is the joy of forgiveness. I had asked a friend of, of mine to come up here and, and share a testimony of forgiveness. Do you think we have time just for five minutes, do you think? Yes? Well, I'll invite Emil to come up here. I'm not putting him on the spot. We've spoken about this before. But we want to, to just see how, how close to home this um, experience of God's forgiveness and the joy that it can bring. Now, Emil, I, I appreciate you coming up here. And could you tell us um, where you're from, where you lived, and, and what part of Earth's history you lived through? Just uh, briefly, in, in, and then I'll ask you maybe some, some questions. Um, so where were you from? I'm from Rwanda. You're from Rwanda, okay. In Central Africa. Right. And uh, did you see anything in relation to the genocide then? Yes. Um, it was in 1994 that um, the ter terrible tragedy happened in Rwanda, and I was in the middle of, of it. In the middle of it? Yes. So I, I can understand that this is a hard thing for um, you to talk about. And indeed, your own family was affected. Very terribly, because we lost um, about 34 people in my extended family, and my closest, some of my closest relatives, my wife, my cousins, my nephews, and all others in our family, 34 people were Brother, killed. We grieve with you for that. But I, I understand, and there were, there were even many uh, Christians, Adventists, even Adventist pastors that lost their lives. You, you told me about one particular um, pastor and his wife. Could you share with us briefly the, the power of that story there? These were terrible, terrible days. days. The Time magazine said in the month of May that all the demons of the world were in Rwanda, and they were right. So the, 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 the thirst for revenge between these two tribes, the, the, the Hutus and the Tutsis, indeed. Yes, it was a long conflict. Uh, but this time, for the three months' time, it was only killings. It was no fighting. It was killings, just brutal killings. And um, in one day, uh, at least 200 of our pastors were killed in one day on the same spot. And on another part of the country, one of the, our pastors, a pastor whom I knew very well since I was young, and uh, <clears throat> he had baptized my own wife. This pastor was killed in a very brutal way, and his wife was chopped in with machetes and was left for dead. So can you tell us um, what happened to her? 
the wife of the pastor um, was taken to um, the hospital by some people and um, he was treated and after several months she survived the wounds even today if you see her she has wounds um, uh, no, no, um, scars on her head and all over her body <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me but she survived Amen. and um, after some time she started a ministry mm -hmm. to visit the prisons okay so um, can you tell us what happened of particular importance once she was um, ministering in the prisons and yeah. who were the people that were there in prison she would take food and water to prisons because the Rwanda prisons were filled with um, people who had committed genocide who had killed people at least hundred thousand hundred and thirty thousand prisoners were caught and put in prisons and uh, after <clears throat> Many years in, in the spirit of national reconciliation, the government started to interview their prisoners and to forgive some of the, all the prisoners who would come forward and um, confess to their killings. And uh, uh, this pastor's wife, uh, pastor's widow, was visiting the prisons, taking food to, the, to them. One of the prisoners said, I will not take your food anymore. I cannot drink, drink your water or eat your food anymore. And so why, why was that? What um, was the reason? This, this young man said, uh, the pastor's widow asked him, why wouldn't you do that? Um, the prisoner said, because I killed the pastor. I killed your husband. Mm -hmm. Now you're doing all these things to us, and therefore... I saw guilty. I did so much damage to your family, irreparable damage, that I cannot accept to, to eat your food anymore. So what did she do? What was her reaction? <clears throat> um, it was a long process, and um, this young man was released from, from prison um, because he had confessed to the killing, and uh, the pastor's widow took him in, his ho in her home he into her own, her own house. In her own house. Mm -hmm. She adopted him as her son. He was a young man in his 20s. And after so many years of staying together, working together, they, um, it was time for this young man to get married. This lady, the pastor's widow, built a house for him on her property. She found a, um, a bride for him paid the dowry for this young man to get married and she, um, she paid for his wedding and the man, young man got married. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, the story doesn't quite end there, but um, this, is, this is an amazing turnaround. This can only be done by the power of God. Now this young man w w that was taken in and adopted by this brave and courageous godly woman um, he had children, yes? Yes, after a few years, they had children, and um, the children of, of this young man would call the pastor's widow their grandma. Amen. She was their grandma, and she was the mother of the killer of her husband. Amen, amen. Thank you, brother.
Thank you for your courage for thank, sharing. Thank you. Amen. Friends, there is joy, there is power, there is reconciliation in forgiveness. And you know, we don't have the power to forgive. But if we're halfway willing, if we ask God, He will help you and me so that we can truly be lights on a hill, shining for the honor and glory of God. You see, when Jesus says, let, them, let your light shine and let them see your good works, that they may give glory to your Father that is in heaven, it means that we would be like Jesus. Is that your prayer, my friends, to be like Jesus? Then ask Him to fulfill the Lord's prayer that we would forgive others and that God would forgive us because we experience the power, the freedom, and the love and the joy of His forgiveness. You see, ultimately, the bottom line is forgiveness is to live. Forgiveness is salvation. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.